This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. So before the break, we heard from Kakesani President Lo Nga Yuen about this year's Bo Cameronian Arts Awards, which will be held virtually on Facebook Live on the 2nd of July. So the awards also honours Game Changers, where they recognise artistic Malaysians who have been trailblazers in their fields and have made a name for themselves internationally as well as at home. So this year's Game Changers are music industry veteran Paul Augustine and Hollywood screenwriter and producer Adele Lim. Uh, Adele is most recently known for co-writing the screenplay for Crazy Rich Asians and is also the writer for Disney's upcoming Mariah and the Last Dragon. Adele is joining us today via Zoom from her home in Los Angeles. Hi Adele, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. How is the situation there currently? You know, how have the last few months been? Um, well, it's been an upheaval as it has been for everybody around the world. But I think the interesting thing about America is that, you know, it 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 really has not handled the coronavirus pandemic very well. And I think it's very obvious at this point that we were on lockdown for a while. But, you know, our um, a lot of the population has not been taking the mask wearing uh, recommendations seriously. And part of it has to do with, you know, our politics and um, people getting conflicting messages. So that that's been difficult. But the the benefit to all of it, and not that there's a benefit to, to a great tragedy like this, but the, um, a lot of the social justice riots, you know, and protests that we're seeing on the streets, I think that was also a result of the pandemic, where a lot of Americans had to really contend with all these injustices that were happening, that we couldn't just hide in our work and pretend it wasn't happening anymore. Mm. And, you know, it is, it's quite a tumultuous time, both in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the protests and the upheaval that's happening in the US right now. How big an impact has all of this had on um, both the industry that you're in and also your own work? Oh, it's, it's had a tremendous impact. But the thing is, with entertainment, entertainment is pretty recession proof. So, you know, even in the Great Depression in 1920s, you know, the, all industries are struggling except for show business, because particularly in times where there's, you know, great trouble in the world, people really do turn to entertainment. So if you look across the industry where, you know, whether it's hospitality, like, you know, all industries are struggling, but online streaming platforms like Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, Apple, um, you know, Disney Plus, like their subscriber base has exploded because people are at home and they are consuming a lot of entertainment. Um, that's on the on the larger scale. The the thing that's affected the industry, though, is that there is this inability to shoot. Mm. So, you know, production had to be shut down and the industry is very impatient to get production up and running again. But we have to be able to approach it in a way that's safe for everyone. And whether we like it or not, you know, um, the industry, you know, they're they're run by corporations. So, of course, like they'll they'll want, um, you know, TV episodes and movies to be shot. Um, but on, you know, looking out for the common person on, you know, on the street, we have our guilds and our unions, which are very powerful. And, you know, and I'm really thankful for that because they're also looking out for the welfare and the safety for everybody who's in the writer's guild, people in the director's guild, people in the screen actors guild, um, IATSE, like our workers unions, making sure that the conditions on set are really fair and safe for everybody who has to be on them. Because if you've spent any time on set, you know, like those places are vectors for disease. <laughs> and 
What about your own work? I mean, both in terms of the practicality, but also just the mental space of um, doing what you do. That's a really good question, actually. So there are two parts to it. First of all, um, writers are very fortunate and I find and I feel I am very blessed because while the industry cannot move forward on so much, the one thing it can do is that it can plan for the future and you can write. So, you know, most writers I know, I know are busier than ever with all these writing assignments and selling projects because that's the, uh, that's the one thing Hollywood can do. The trouble is, you know, and I've had a couple of projects, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic and then when there were protests out in the streets, it's hard to get in the right mindset um, to focus on your writing and be in that purely creative space. Uh, for example, um, you know, I, I came off the the Raya, Disney Raya project. I'm still attached to it, but I had to step back so I could um, pursue an, a different project. And that was my new project is more of a comedy. You know, it's about four crazy girlfriends running around dating, like that kind of a thing. And it's hard to come up with, you know, comedic jokes and, um, you mm. know, dating scenarios when, again, you know, things are burning outside. And I'm and I live right in the middle of L.A. where you can hear the helicopters when the protests are happening not too far from the house. So, you know, it, it really um, it really forces you to um, reevaluate what's important to you. And also, um, you know, this is not strictly about my career, but, um, you know, I have two children and you want to be able to in times like this to take time for yourself, to take time for your children and spend time with them, you know, valuing what's important and being able to explain what's going on. And not lapse back into, you know, pre-pandemic work habits where I would just, you know, shut myself off from my family and the world for like 12, 16 hours a day. Like that's really not an option. You have to be able to balance it. Mm. Um, you mentioned that you were working on a comedy. I'm not sure how much you can share, but I'm curious, um, what are some of the things that you've been working on? Uh, oh, this, um, I was on the Disney project for almost two years. Mm -hmm. And so while I was with them, I was exclusive to them, which was strange for me because I'm used to working on multiple projects at a time. So in my own free time with some friends, I wrote, um, we wrote a movie and it's a comedy about uh, four Asian American uh, young women. And the basic premise of it is um, one of the Asian American women, she was adopted by white parents and was, and was raised in the Midwest. And if you know anything about America, mid, the Midwest is, you know, it's corn fed, it's all American, you know, and she grew up in this town where she's one of maybe two Asian girls. And so when she becomes an adult, um, suddenly there's this opportunity to find her birth mother in Asia. And, you know, this becomes a siren call. And so she and her insane girlfriends, you know, take off for this like uh, rip roaring adventure through Asia to try and find her roots. Oh, that sounds really lovely. Um, is that something that's already been picked up or is that still something you're working on right now? Oh, uh, well, we wrote it on spec. That means no one paid us to write it. But ah. we um, we partnered with Point Grey, which is Seth Rogen's company. He's, um, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a famous producer and actor. And we sold it to Lionsgate. Um, so the project is there right now. We're not officially greenlit, but they bought the script and we're doing some rewrites for them. And so hopefully it'll be greenlit. So um, I think that brings us to a really interesting um, point that I thought about a lot when I was preparing for this interview. Um, Crazy Rich Asians really was heralded as this game changer in the industry. Um, it is an interesting time to be working in Hollywood because there's a lot of talk about diversity, a lot of um, push towards being more inclusive. What is it like to be working in the industry at this time? Oh, that's It's an interesting question because you know, it is a very different time now. And having worked in the industry as long as I have, you know, that that change was a long time in coming. 
the difficulty is, you know, we're not in our usual mode. So we can't sort of see firsthand, uh, you know, with like our personal interactions, our work interactions, how this has really affected it. But it definitely has affected the industry of being much more aware. So, you know, racial issues, class issues, things that, um, you know, uh, studios and showrunners and content creators, we were they were aware of it. Um, and a lot of, um, you know, again, writers, directors are very liberal um, in Hollywood, but they're not as liberal as they think, you know, because a lot of the struggles of um, the, our black community and the Latino community um, and the people for, um, you know, for more working class or underrepresented communities, they weren't really, you know, it wasn't part of their world. So they didn't necessarily tell stories or were, you know, particularly um, in tune with um, the needs and what was going on there. So now um, there's, you know, you can't plead ignorance anymore. It's in your face every day. People are at home, again, forced to confront the realities of what has been happening and how this country has really been treating Black people and uh, been treating, you know, our minority population. And as people in entertainment, we really have a huge responsibility in that area. How we view America is how it's viewed, you know, on the TV screen and on movie screens, whether you're in America or outside of America. Um, an example I like to point to is um, my mother said when she first came to the States and I think she went, she and my father went to New York and they got into a cab and they were very surprised to find that their cab driver was Pakistani. <laughs> in their minds, they thought everybody in America is blonde and blue eyed. Mm -hmm. And, and that could not be further from the truth. America is gorgeous and has, you know, people of all shapes, sizes, colors, <laughs> cultures. And that is really what is wonderful about America, but you would not be able to tell that based on, you know, who gets, whose story gets told um, on television and in film. When you look at Melrose Place, when you look at Friends, shows that people love, but at the same time, you know, looking at it with our lens now, it really did exclude a lot of America. Mm. And, you know, we have to just really do a better job moving forward. And what strikes me about the kind of work that um, you've been doing in Hollywood, um, and, and it's exactly those examples that you just mentioned, because often when stories of um, quote-unquote minority cultures get told, they tend to be important, heavy, you know, um, um, deep and, and issues based. But I think that there's a case to be made also for just regular stories of people who aren't white. And I think you've done that in terms of whether it's comedy or whether it's adventure or, or, or whether it's romance, um, is that something that you consciously seek out? Uh, it a hundred percent is. And I'm so delighted that, you know, you, you think about that and um, that you've recognized that. So the, the story of a lot of um, underrepresented cultures in America tends to be the story of struggle. And I don't want to detract from that. Those stories are very important and they need to be told. But the problem is sometimes they are the only stories that are being told and those stories don't pick up traction because like it or not, larger America and the large, you know, the larger audience, sometimes they don't, you know, when they feel like, oh, I have to listen to this story about struggle. Like I know what that's going to be. But, um, you know, for entertainment, people, when they turn to entertainment, they want to be entertained. And not to say that you have to, um, you know, shut out what was uh, important or, or difficult about your culture. But, you know, we want to be also be celebrated. We want to be the heroes of our story. We want to be the hot girl. We want to be the difficult guy. We want to be the gossipy auntie. We want to be the criminal. We want to be, you know, we want to be the good guy and the bad guy. And in a narrative where, you know, all the majority of the heroes are male and white and 
the minority parts get relegated to very small, you know, characters like, oh, you're the best friend. Oh, you're the guest character who comes in for one or two episodes, but you know, that's it. Um, so much pressure gets put on those roles and you're not really free to play and explore those characters the way you want. So with, you know, with our stories, um, you know, the stories I enjoy doing, whether it's Crazy Rich, whether it's, um, whether it's Raya, it's that, that um, purely by being of that culture, we're already making a statement. And beyond that, we are so much more than just, you know, showing up and saying, you know, this is a story about Asians and, you know, we're very Asian. It's not about that. Like there, there's a bigger, richer story behind all of that. And, you know, I think the more specific you get into the cultures and the details, you know, um, with Crazy Rich, um, the delightful thing about that was that all the things, the Malay, the Chinese, the Hokkien, the food, the satay, the, you know, the, the busybody aunties who are just up in your <laughs> business all the time. That was just such a part of who I was. And I never got to write about it or talk about it. And I never thought, you know, this was something that mainstream America would care about. And I was given an opportunity to do that and found, you know, to our great surprise and our great delight that that's exactly what America and the rest of the world, you know, really tuned into. They, they want um, to be brought into your world in a, into this joyful place where, that you're, where you're celebrating a culture they haven't seen before. Mm. Because they've seen, you know, th- there are the same stories and the same things and, that they've seen again and again. I think the, the audience is always so much more sophisticated and open than the studios give them credit for, I think. So you've been working in Hollywood for, um, what, nearly two decades now? Mm, um, yeah. You know, you've written for, for TV was where you started off. So you've done things like One Tree Hill, Private Practice, Dynasty, Lethal Weapon. You were showrunner for Starcrossed. Um, and, of course, we've already talked about Crazy Rich Asians, about Raya. Um, was there a point when you looked at what you've done and you thought to yourself, I've made it? <laughs> never. You <laughs> never, ever, ever think you've, you've made it. I, I don't know if anybody ever feels that way, but I think particularly with writers, um, you know, we writers are, we're, are generally solitary, at least when we come into the industry. And But within the industry, whether it's TV or film, it's incredibly collaborative. And it's not a, it's not a vocation you go into for stability. So, you know, with the, with the same with Asian parents, they always want you to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and, you know, pursuing a career in entertainment could not be further from this. There is no guarantee as to what your next job is just because you're doing well, you know, one year is, doesn't mean you're going to do well the next year. And so in the beginning of my career, particularly, you know, you feel like you're lucky when you get an offer or you get two offers um, during staffing season. You think you have it made, but you're always aware that, you know, you have to keep proving yourself um, because you're only as good as your last project. I will say, though, um, you know, for me, for television, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit more stable in that. I think I got to a point in being a mid-level writer after I um, run a writer's room where I felt that, um you know, with with my skill set and with the people I'd worked with and my reputation in the industry, that I could I could get work. Um, it may not necessarily be my dream project, but you know, I would not have to worry. I would not have to be wor- uh, worry about you know making my mortgage or my bills. So that was that was wonderful. That was huge. So, what does success mean to you? Ah, well, you know, my definition of success has really changed. When I was younger. My thought was success means running my own television show and, you know, being able to call all the shots. And what I've learned since then is, you know, there's nothing harder than running a television show, particularly in the 
um, the traditional uh, network drama space where it's 22 episodes of TV and you're working around the clock and it's a two-person job minimum, truly. You're never not thinking about your job. You sleep thinking about your job. You wake up thinking about your job. Your kids in your family become this component where you're scheduling in like, you know, half hour, hour slots before you can, you know, go back into, you know, watching a post-production cut or giving notes or, um, you know, uh, writing a story document for the next episode. So, you know, um, and at some point your well begins to run empty. You know, you, you need something to draw from in terms of inspiration and joy and life. And so I, I, especially I think after I had my kid and I never thought I'd be this person, I always thought like, oh, children aren't going to slow me down at all. And that's how I was for the first few years after having my first child of, you know, I, I didn't talk about her at work. I wanted, I didn't want people to view me as, um, as a deficit, you know, mm. as someone who was not going to be giving her all for her job because she had a child. And so I would sort of burn the candle on both ends and really kill myself trying to overcompensate for being a woman, being a minority, being a mother, not giving anyone a reason to, you know, second guess my abilities. So I think, you know, it's a very long answer to, to say that going through all of that, I think now my, my definition of success is being able getting to a position where you can pursue the things you love and are passionate about in a way that you are still a whole full person with um, professionally and with your family. Mm. On that note, one of the things that you did make headlines for last year um, was the fact that you walked away from the Crazy Rich Asian sequel because uh, they were basically offering you a lot less than your colleagues. Um, now, to me, that's actually a, a huge, hugely inspiring decision in, in many ways. Did you expect that to make the kind of news it did? No, I, <laughs> I, I really didn't. I knew, I knew it, would, it would make some waves, but I assumed it would just be within our industry. And that's really why I agreed to the story going forward to begin with. Um, there's, you know, in, in television, it's a lot more diverse. There are a lot more women. There are a lot more people of color. And television, I believe, is doing so well because of that. Shonda Rhimes is the highest paid showrunner in television. You know, we, I feel like we've really been living the last two decades, the gold age of uh, uh, TV. But it's a totally different situation in films. In TV, the writer is king. So we run the shows where in all parts of uh, all aspects of production, you know, it really is our show. Whereas in movies, writers, are, you know, they come, they go, they're hired, they're fired. And in, in, the, in the film space, you find that most of the writers are white men. And there's nothing wrong with white men. It's just that they should not be telling all the stories that Hollywood has to tell. And a big part of me coming forward uh, with the story was to highlight a discrepancy because I wasn't, you know, um, they, the offer they made me was based on the fact that Crazy Rich Asians really was my first movie. And even though it was a huge success for the studio, their attitude was, you know, I, I'm the same as any brand new writer who's just only written one movie. When in fact, I'd been working as a television writer and a, you know, a successful one and a senior one um, for the most part of it for 17 years. And for them to discount that um, while publicly, you know, the studios are saying, oh, diversity and inclusion and um, making sure that we're, you know, we, are, we have a, a large, um, a huge spectrum of storytellers, um, while privately, you know, the lawyers in, in business affairs is really um, treating you like you're, um, you know, you're just starting out. 
was a was a big problem that wasn't being looked at. Mm. And the other component to it is most feature writers feel like they can't say anything because if they do, they're labeled as troublemakers. And and that's, you know, particularly if you're Asian, uh, you never want to make trouble. You never want to cause an issue. And it's also, you know, it can be embarrassing because you can't control what people think. And people might think, oh, well, she didn't contribute as much and therefore she didn't get paid as much. And I knew what I brought to the project. I knew what my self-worth was. And and I knew I could not move forward with the project under those circumstances. So, yeah. So I walked away. <laughs> but I mean, but but truly, the, the last note on that is that I love the I loved Crazy Rich Asians. I love John Chu, the director. I'm still friends with him and, you know, love the cast and want nothing better. So I do want the sequels to do very well. Mm-hmm. I just hope they find another, you know, another Asian female, um, you know, storyteller to um, to work with. Because I, you know, I think um, by the time everybody sort of like was ready to give me what I wanted, I'd already moved on um, with Disney. Yeah. Um, but yes. So, you know, I, I felt um, even though it was very difficult at the time, I felt like it was the it was the right move. Mm. Well, tell us about working for Disney then. Um, it, it's it sounds like a very exciting project. So it's an animated film. It's being voiced by Cassie Steele and Aquafina, and it's about a dragon. And and there's a dragon in it. <laughs> so it, it's so funny. So I told you, you know, I've been working for TV for so long, and most of the lead characters in the TV shows I write are white guys. And to have two back-to-back features where, you know, it's Raya is not based on South, it's, you know, it's not Southeast Asian, it's a fantasy world, but it's inspired by the cultures of Southeast Asia. So to be able to write two, you know, movies inspired by um, the culture we grew up in is, you know, there, there are no words for it. I never thought it would be possible even. And that's, that's really sad. And now having had a taste of it, I don't know if I could go back to anything else. Um, so with, with Raya, um, the, it's funny. I, I don't know if I sat out in the world thinking like, oh, my gosh, I want to write a Disney movie. But when the opportunity came up and they talked to me about, you know, my um, where I came from, where I grew up, I realized, you know, the, the love for Disney ran deep. My my grandmother um, was a huge Disney fan. And, you know, after surviving the Japanese occupation, was a big fan of American movies and would paint like Disney characters on oh, that's um, her children's furniture. <laughs> Yeah. And she would put on these plays. She put on the play of Snow White. And I, of course, got to play Snow White because I'm the firstborn oldest granddaughter. And, you know, and my cousins were all relegated to like bunnies and dwarves. Um, And so now to be able to come full circle and really tell a story, you know, inspired from our world and have that play in Disney and have that hopefully, you know, um, have the reach that, uh, you know, that all Disney movies do is is really very special. What does it mean in terms of um, that exactly? The, the idea that, you know, Disney is now making things like Moana and, and Coco and, and Raya and being a part of that change. Um, what does that feel like for you? It, it feels, you know, it's hard to put it into one word and exciting and proud isn't that, but it just gives you so much hope. Because, you know, when you're growing up in PJ and Kuala Lumpur, you know, I, I, I love the community and the world I grew up in. But you're always very aware that you are not the cultural epicenter of the world in the way that England or America was and is. And the idea that you could somehow not just be part of it, but you could actually, um, you know, be part of that storytelling and, and make your story and the story of your people part of that. Um, is is tremendous because I know the effect that 
um, books and TV and film had on me growing up. It just opened my world up so much. The idea that um, you know any any little girl in in whatever remote part of the world um, in this day and age, especially when we're so connected with social media and you know and devices, that you would be able to reach all those little girls and little boys um, who are not necessarily growing up in the best situations, you know, in a first world country, and and show them that their voice too is important, that their story is important, that they as people and their experiences are as valid and wonderful and get to be celebrated as much as anybody else's that, you know, you can't really put a value or or a quick description to that. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, I remember growing up and I used to imagine that I lived in the places I read in my Enid Blyton books. Oh my God, Enid Blyton, the best, yes. (laughs) So I, I, yeah, I I really understand what that feels like. Um, And how, how much do you think growing up in Malaysia shaped your experiences and what you bring to the work you do now? Um, that's interesting because that, that my view on that has also changed in the beginning when I first got to the, um, you know, when I was first, first starting out as a writer here, it really was a big deficit um, because, you know, when you're writing for American television, especially for network television, you need to be an insider. And I was starting off on my back foot. There was so much I didn't understand about growing up as an American, you know, there. Um, and I was a very recent immigrant. I just did my last two years of college in the country before I moved out to L.A. and was trying to get into TV. So all these things that the showrunner and the other writers would be able to commiserate with, you know, their love of American football and baseball and sleepaway camp and, you know, prom and dating, you know, all these things, all these um, milestones in an American's life, like I didn't have, and I had to really work very hard to get caught up and to be able to sound like them. And with writers, it's competitive because, you know, you're supposed to mimic the showrunner's voice. You're supposed to be able to sound like these characters that they've brought to life. And a big part of that is being able to understand that character forwards and backwards. So when I first started out, you know, being Malaysian wasn't helpful because it wasn't they most people here, they couldn't you know, point Malaysia out on a map. They had no <laughs> idea what Malaysia was. Mm. They probably for, for the most part, they thought it was part of China because I'm Chinese. And, you know, and, and, it, and it wasn't a useful culture to dip into because I would never be able to reference anything um, from my childhood in our scripts the way that other writers would be able to. But having but even then, um, I realized it, it took another writer to point this out to me. But he said, you know, growing up as an outsider is also uh, very valuable because I could see and appreciate different things about American culture and character dynamics and relationships that maybe somebody who grew up in the culture couldn't. But when if you know where I am now, I have a completely different view on it that I feel so fortunate and so blessed to have grown up in PJ and, you know, gone to public school in Malay um, and, you know, had Chinese, Indian, Malay friends and have grown up in that rich culture because that those experiences are ones that, you know, no one else in America has right now. And the exposure to so many major world cultures, when you think about it, you know, like the Chinese, the Indians, you know, and and we've been colonized by everybody. So there's (laughs) there's a little bit of, you know, the the Anglophilia, like, the you know, the British and 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 the whole world is familiar with American culture. So weirdly, growing up in our little neck of the woods gave me so much more cultural exposure than I would have had growing up in America. 
And now when storytelling is being burst wide open and Netflix is looking to, you know, go international and they need writers to be able to sort of, um, you know, uh, straddle both worlds, I feel like I have a whole wealth of stories um, and, you know, and, um, and an experiential well that I can dip from without even trying that hard because it's just part of who I am and it was part of my childhood. Thank you so much, Adele. I think that's a lovely note to end on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. I've been speaking with screenwriter and producer Adele Lim, who is one of this year's Bo Cameronian Arts Awards Game Changers, along with music industry veteran Paul Augustine. This year, the award is being held online for the first time this Thursday on the 2nd of July at 8.30pm on the Kakisani Facebook page. If you've missed any part of this interview or any previous Friend Row segments, you can download the podcasts on bfm.my, on our BFM app or on Spotify. You've been listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.